0: Third book, she starts doing a bunch of different POVs, and you know what? It fucking bangs. It's so good. You are originally like, I don't know why I'm supposed to care about this witch. I don't know why I'm supposed to care about her lore. And then by the last book, you're like, Can you take me back to the witch really quick? was a bloody cliffhanger and I'm worried about her. <laughs> So All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, almost all English majors, read popular fiction with me. This month has been ACOTAR month. We've made it to comparison contrast after talking about the three ACOTAR books for probably like six hours. Congrats to the troops who made it through. So true. There's just a lot to discuss. We haven't been getting rave reviews. People have been texting me. Really? To be like, I'm really enjoying this. Well, one of them was like, I will never read these books, but it's fun and interesting to like understand what people see in them and yeah. like, why they're reading them. So that was nice. Thank you for saying that. It made yeah. me happy. Yeah, you can see people on the street carrying them around and you can be like, she's horny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's, She's yeah. horny and she doesn't mind a first person narration. Those are the things that yeah. I know about everyone I see carrying these books. Which I do see them a lot. Like people are just I don't I don't know. I think I guess people don't realize that I know that I know what's going <laughs> on. But may and maybe people I guess because other people like them, they're obviously not ashamed of them. So it's not like they're like Letting it all hang out, I guess. But I don't really think, like, women should be ashamed. I I don't ever think women should be ashamed of their taste, but I do think men should be ashamed of their taste. I just remembered, I just had, like, a thought process about being ashamed of, like, women being ashamed of their taste or not ashamed of their taste. When I was in high school, it was when Fifty Shades of Grey was a big thing. Early, Mm -hmm. early high school, I posted a tweet And I I was really a tweeter at this time, so it was one of probably, like, 12 that I sent in that day. And (laughs) I, my youth pastor followed me and made a post that was just about, like, Fifty Shades of Grey and, like, making fun of it, but then... I felt bad and didn't want to, like, seem like a snob. Even when I was, like, 14, I was self-policing, not seeming like a snob. And so I said, but also I could read it, whatever. And then he called my mom and was like, Jess said on Twitter that she might read Fifty Shades of Grey. And I didn't really know that much about it. Like, I didn't know how graphic it was. And so I didn't, like, really realize that everyone was reading porn. Like, I kind of knew, but I didn't really know. I just, like, knew that it was embarrassing to read Fifty Shades of Grey. but. Looking back now, it is crazy that I said that online, but it's also crazy that people were just, like, talking about it and recommending it to people, just like you've said a bunch of times, like, you should really watch Bridgerton, is (laughs) very, like, you should just, Yeah, I really loved this show. It has so much substance. I loved the love story. There's no love story. You're just waiting for them to fuck. Don't (laughs) lie. Here's kind of how I feel about it. I think that it's so good that we have transitioned to little cartoon cover romances. That have the same dirty content that a like actual bodice ripper of a woman in a corset on the front mm. to like be a little more innocent. I think that that's good generally yeah. for just like the populace in terms of like shame, right? But like, I also feel like specifically with Fifty Shades, there was legitimate good discourse up from. I hate to say the BDSM community. That's, that's I think but that's like. What you say. Like, the BDSM community being like, this isn't safe. Like, the purpose of doing this with a partner is to have a specific dynamic, and that specific dynamic is for both of us to, like, like, get pleasure from this dynamic that we have explicitly outlined in a safe way. Yeah. And, like, there's... To my understanding, I've never read them. Maybe I need to read them on the pod. Um, maybe Lydia could read the Fifty Shades books (laughs) with me. Um, like, to my understanding, it's not a very safe dynamic, and I've never read them, but, like, there's a difference between reading, like, recommending, like, a cartoon cover romance that is, like, those are pretty explicitly about women's pleasure, like, to going up to someone on the street and being like, oh my god. That book where she gets tied up, like, <laughs> isn't that so good? It's, it just maybe Americans are more repressed than they realized. Yeah. Well, I was I was thinking as I was saying that about like I can't believe people are just carrying these around. Like maybe I am the Puritan and I'm the problem because there is nothing wrong with that, and I don't genuinely believe that it's anything is wrong with that. I think if I thought these books were like if I didn't have other criticisms of these books then I would be like hell yeah queen you you seek your pleasure publicly from the public library but yeah I think it's there probably are the, qualms to have yeah it's the combination of my other qualms with the fact that I see a bunch of my 14-year-old students reading these that gives me pause it gives me pause <laughs> I definitely, it is a good thing that, like, Book Talk did not, it's good that I came up through fan fiction. Mm. Because I think that if I had, like, read these, I would be like, this is the best thing I've ever read. And, like, it's, it is good to learn, like, I have read so many different writing styles. Yeah. Because I have read, like, thousands of different authors, because, like, when stories are, like, 5,000 words long, you can read a thousand of them. Right. And I, like, know what I like and know what I don't like in a story. And I think maybe that's part of what makes Sarah J Maas so interesting. And, like, we've said it before, we'll say it again, the bones of Sarah J Moss's books are good. Yes. Like, you want to read them. There's a reason that they have spawned so much fan fiction is mm-hmm. because people are like, yes, bones so good. Let's let's put some meat on them. Yeah. <laughs> let's make it better yeah yeah it also I saw a video the other day talking about how Sarah J Maas came up through like Sailor Moon fanfic like that was her first thing that she started writing and it's so interesting to me how like in the past probably like 10 years maybe like 15 20 years There have been so many, especially female writers, who become super, super popular. And then, like, part of their lore, like, part of their origin story is their history in the fanfiction universe. Like, it's obviously, like, common knowledge that Twilight originally fanfiction for Fifty Shades of Grey, I think. So there's just, like, this kind of, like, cyclical thing. Right? Well, 50 Shades was Twilight fanfiction. Oh, yeah, I flipped it. Yes. And then there's the um there's the Harry Styles fanfiction that got That's what that series after or whatever. Yeah. Is yeah. based on? Yeah. That's like fucking Harry Styles fanfiction. And then the the book that you read with Sam wasn't that one Reylo fanfiction? Yeah, that's Reylo fanfiction. So it there's the women are just Kikiing on the internet and then (laughs) monetizing it. Change the names. Change a little bit of the like identifying info. And well, and go ahead. Fan fiction is like a community. They support each other. They beta read for each other. Like when I was like, I was never really entrenched on Tumblr. Like I was really using it exclusively to like find good fan fiction because people would make like fic rec lists and I would just save them. On my Tumblr, and then I would just read my week with <laughs> them. And, like, the things you would, if I followed the authors on Tumblr, they would say, am looking for a beta reader, looking for this, or they would be thanking their beta readers. Like, there's such a struct, an internet structure in place for people to, like, learn and critique one yeah. it, from one another that, like, that's good. Yeah. I think like, maybe the. I feel like you talk in this podcast a lot about like, I wish this person had an editor. I think that the thing is a lot of these authors do have editors and they are editors that are like also sort of like thick pilled. And so it's all kind of like the same sensibility that everyone is like collectively developing and like appealing to that has built into it some flaws. And like, there's other sensibilities that, Also have the same problem. Like the New Yorker short story genre has its own like shortcomings and blind spots and stuff. And like there are things about it, like conventions of that genre that are annoying. But because the editor of the New Yorker fiction section also has those blind spots and biases and whatever, not biases. Like I don't mean that in like a, you know what I mean? Yeah. They don't get caught or changed. So I feel like when we are like, I am begging for this person to have an editor. The thing is, they do, and they have people who are reading it, but they are like, yes, I love this first-person narration. Yes, I love when he purrs down the bond. Like, you know what I mean? Like, It is, it's all part of the same thing. It's not like it's slipping through the cracks. Like, it is, it is all succeeding at a very specific thing. You know what? be slipping through the cracks, though. Hair color. Yes. And that's like, true. There, there there are some continuity issues in these books. Yeah, yeah. And that's true. And that's crazy to me. Like, I feel well, and it's... It's gonna get even messier because the Crescent City books, of which she's written two of... Guess what happens at the end of the second Crescent City book? The main character who just discovered this world-ending thing. Spoilers on Crescent City. I guess if you're going to have beef, skip the next 60 seconds. She falls through a fucking portal and lands in the Akatar universe. She like falls into the Night Court's office. And I read that and I knew all the internet girlies were going crazy for it and I was like this fucking sucks. I like am- this sucks. Gobbed and gagged. That's crazy. <laughs> I read that. Like, Rysan says something like, particularly resand and he's like, in his office, and like, she falls in, and he basically is like, well, hello, who are you? Basically. And it was like, this fucking sucks. Oh, Don't do this, please. My God. It's so, that's so sweet. Life Like, Montana. <laughs> Which, let's admit, We're not that good. (laughs) I was about to say that I felt like those were really momentous moments in culture. I don't know if they They were were. I don't know if they were good. I don't think that I cared. And maybe that's the point. Like, maybe that's the point. If you're a fan, you don't really care that much about, like, the merit of the thing. Because once you're in there, you're in there. You know? Like, that's your boyfriend. You don't care if yeah. he needs to watch his ass. You don't care if he has holes in his underwear. You don't care because that's your boyfriend <laughs> and you're 17. That's what I think. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, let's get to the most important part of the outline. And it's the most important because it's first on the outline. That's how things work, right? Mm-hmm. Pride of place. Jess Jess added this to the outline. I will ask you first, then, fuck, Mary, kill, Akatar, Akamath, or Akawar. Maybe we can refer to them as Thorns and Roses, Missing Fury, <laughs> and, what is it? Wings and Ruin. Yeah. That way we don't have we to can. say Akamath all the <laughs> time. Um, <laughs> Go for it. it. Yeah, okay, so I would kill Thorns and Roses easy, just, like, right off the bat, dead. You're dead. I don't even have to think about it. I think I would marry Mist and Fury because the journey of that book, I did find that scrumptious and I did. And I did go to the public library. I've been borrowing all of these books from my friend Hannah. Shout out Hannah. I don't know if she's listening to these. She likes these books. So I'm afraid that I've been being a little harsh (laughs) for her taste, but. She, uh, I didn't have time. She wasn't home. So I couldn't pick up the next one from her. And I went straight Mm -hmm. to the library. And that's because Miss and Fury really hit for me. So, Mary. And then by default, I suppose I would fuck Wings and Ruin, which is the war one. So I don't know how that would end for me. But that is, he would be exciting. She would be exciting. I don't know. That's my thought. Do you have a different thought? No, I agree. <laughs> I think that you marry Mist and Fury also because there's no war. Yeah. Like, there's one battle. You're overcoming all your trauma. You're falling in love. Special and fun and beautiful. You want that to be your forever. Right. Because you certainly don't want the war with Highburn to be your <laughs> forever. Also, right. I think that there are, like, a lot of toxic things that happen in um Wings and Ruin, where it's, like, super toxic the way that, like, everyone is trying to just, like, take everything on themselves, and then everyone's like, no, we're supposed to protect each other! But they're not trying to protect each other, they're just, I don't know. It's, eh. Yeah. It's a little, Reese gets a little Tamlin-esque for me. Uh In books three, four, and five, Mm -hmm. he starts to cross some lines that I'm like, okay, sir. Yeah. And I would say that, um... Mist and Fury also has the most iconic scenes for me. Like, like chapter 54? Is that the one where they fuck in the paint? <laughs> yeah. I was I was just guessing because you had a little twinkle in your eye when you said <laughs> yeah. chapter 54. I was more thinking of um, her following the scent of her own pussy juice on his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I do... I do love when she um she hasn't figured out she can transform to have the Illyrian wings yet and she's not really flying, but she like wants to kill the Ator and she just starts like winnowing herself higher and higher into the air until she like hits him in the middle of the air and like cuts him in half and then like drags him down to the street. Sarah J. Musk could write a battle scene. Yeah, that was sick. That was sick, or in Wings and Ruin when Farah is gonna go find the surreal, so she like convinces Moore to just like go to battle. Yeah. And she talks about being able to see Moore's blonde head like fighting her way through the group. Like, it's very clear that like there's just like a mass of like dark, like blackened, bloodied, suit covered bodies, and then you can see the Morrigan's like blonde head like tearing her yeah. way through it. That bangs. Yeah. That yeah. is evocative that is evocative that is an image that is an image and like like people being mad at her because she like like told more to go to battle and like didn't tell her where she was going and stuff like everybody had a reasonable reaction all of that was good so like there's things about uh wings and ruin that i do think would hit for me like if it's a, if it's a one night stand there would be things about it that would be compelling for me I would not have a bad time but I would know I would always know you're too toxic like you're not for me I can't stay with this long term it's good when it's good but it's bad when it's bad you know and that is yeah. the only right choice I think the next question that I had on here is also fuck Mary kill but you're picking from the seven courts so you can pick anything what are your thoughts? Okay, so I think you have to kill the autumn court. Mm. If Mm -hmm. we're, if we're going within the people, okay. Well, are, I actually have some questions about this question. Are we talking about the courts as they exist in Akatar? Or are we talking about like, would you like want to live at the dawn court? (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to be in eternal fall or eternal spring? Because like, like, duh, I want to be in the summer court. I get to grow vegetables all year long. I yeah. get to live out my little live-in-the-cottage, grow-a-garden dreams. But, like, the spring court would be nice, too, if Tamlin wasn't there. Right. You know, so, like, am I stuck within the ACOTAR structure, or am I just, like, thinking about the courts? Well, I feel like then I would just be asking, fuck, Mary kill, the seasons, or the times of death. <laughs> so that's true that's true so we're gonna okay so we're, like, we're within Avatar. Yeah. okay we are killing the fall court yeah it's very toxic Baron, and it's all very sons. bad it's not Baron and all his sons except lucian who is not even his son he's a bastard perfect mm. I, love bastard a bastard yeah. mm. I love a bastard reveal yeah i love a bastard reveal but we're killing the fall court and we're making lucian the high lord mm. um I think that I would, I think that I would marry the summer court. Mm. I do. Yeah. Um, did you picture, like, like, um, like, the south of France or, like, Italy? Yeah. Me too. Yeah, in harvest season, like, everyone is, like, going about their idyllic life. Yeah. It was really, it was... I liked the descriptions of the courts. I thought that they were pretty good. I think the characterization could have been better, but I really liked the settings for a lot of the courts. Yeah. She really did something with those. What about, who would you fuck? A really long pause. I'm really thinking about this. <laughs> so, not winter. Yeah. Jack Frost with ass. No. Yeah, he really was described as, like, looks like Jack Frost. (laughs) I mean, like, do you have one really good night with Helion? Like, do you go Dawn Court? Yeah. Or do you, like, go... I don't know. I feel like it would be, like... I'm not trying to, like, tell on myself by being, like, Night Court. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) give me some of those wings. (laughs) (laughs) Give me some of those wings. Because, like, those are just the characters that you know the best. Right, right. So, like... Do I think that Cassian or Azriel could get it? Probably. Do no. I also think Helion could get it? Probably. Me and all of the, like, unattached sex I've known to have. <laughs> um, but <laughs> like, yeah, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go Dawn. Mm. Yeah. Wait, isn't Helion Day? I think I'm gonna go Day! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that. I also have to agree. We love a bisexual king in Helion. Um, to marry, are you marrying Tarkin, Tarkin, or whatever the Summer Court? Yeah, guy? yeah. He's, he's. Well, I think I'm mostly best. marrying, living in the Summer Court. But then you're but fucking Helion, so that doesn't make sense. Okay, then yeah, I am also marrying Tarkin. I think he's great. Right. He's, like, he, like, believes in equality, he's a dreamer, but he's also got a backbone, and he's the youngest one. Like, yeah, I was gonna say, I think he's, like, less than a hundred years old. Slay. Hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I think that we're on the same page about all of this. I would probably, yeah, you have to kill Baron from the Autumn Court and all his little sons. Even though they were, like, seeming like they were trying to, like, plant the seeds of a redemption arc for Eris, his oldest son. And here's the thing. I feel like if you have... This is an aside, and then we can get to the other things. Oh, okay, okay. I feel like if you have this, like, narrative about Reese that, like, he seems bad, but he's actually good. Secretly. And then you also try to do that same arc for Eris you have to be like developing that as a theme about like okay what does this say about this world that there are so many like high lords or sons of high lords that feel the need to pretend to be evil and will be willing to be misunderstood but they are secretly good like what does that say about this yeah. world what does it say about tamlin that he wasn't able to do that or like I don't know. I just feel like there's not enough development of like, okay, like maybe the smartest people in this land do tend to do that because it is so brutal there. But like, I don't feel like that's earned or believed. And so it just seems like she's like trying to have Eris have the like the same arc, like to a lesser extent. And it seems not very imaginative. You know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. So my next question. Tucker, is, mm-hmm. do you think that I should, well, tomorrow's the first day of school, and I'm teaching freshmen, and I'm teaching juniors. The juniors, I tell them what to read. We're reading 20th century American fiction. But the freshmen, they do, like, independent reading while we also read other stuff that has been mandated by the school, like Romeo and Juliet, et cetera.
1: But they do independent
0: reading. They do SSR every day. So, a lot of the girlies like to read these. Should I continue to allow that, or should I make it a little bit more, like, I'm giving guidance about the types of books that you should read, kind of trying to steer them away from books like this? I think that you could give guidance, but I don't think there's really any purpose in, like, trying to get a child to not read a book. Because my (laughs) parents were like, maybe you shouldn't read that, and I was like, okay. Okay. And then I would check it out from the library or I would (laughs) borrow it from a friend. Oh my God. I was borrowing the Pretty Little Liars books from someone in middle school Mm. um, and like reading them in my room and like keeping them in my backpack because some part of me was like, I don't think I'm supposed to be reading these. I think, I think part of my, me knew my mother was not going to approve of the trash. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And Betsy came into my room one day and saw me reading one and by dinner that night she was like you know Emily's reading these right (laughs) but like all of that is to say like you you can't stop your kids from consuming media in the world that we're in right now and I think you being like I won't allow that in my classroom would make them be like oh my god yeah and I oh my god I have to read the Akitar books you're not allowed to read Moby Dick (laughs) <laughs> they're not allowed to read more MPs. Yeah, I feel like I, like, generally, as a teacher, try not to be a cop, and, like, I don't want, and I want them to, like, kind of read anything as long as they're reading something. I think that the, like, I, I just feel like there's, I, and I'm not gonna ban them, but, I do think that it's, like, an interesting question to ask, because there are some things about it that I'm, like, when you are 14 and you are, like, reading this, and I said this in one of the other episodes, like, how I feel like there's some things about the relationship between Feyre and recent that, like, seems like it's aspirational, but really is kind of fucked up when you take it to a real-world context. So, it gives me pause. But... I, yeah, yeah, I generally take a very laissez-faire approach to especially independent reading. But you're right. If I want to, like, drum up enthusiasm about these books, like, all I have to do is just be like, and you're not allowed to read it. I was that way about the click books when I was in, like, I was, like, fifth grade or something. I read the click books and I loved them. And I was lucky that I didn't have a sister who would tell on me because my... Yeah. Brother, I'm sure that Brady saw me reading them, but he was just like, girl book, plaid cover. (laughs) No, I read the Clickbooks in elementary school. It was one of those things that like, looking back, I know why my mom didn't like them. And it's like, not because there was, well, there was, actually, they talk about this uh, podcast recommendation right now. I really like the Girls Like Us podcast, specifically when they were talking about the Clickbooks. They read, like, the third clickbook with, like, four dudes who are also on a podcast. And the men were like, I don't think I'm allowed to read this. Yeah. Like, why is she writing about a 13-year-old's breasts like this? Because, yeah. like, I don't think that. Like, I read this and I was like, I have to go to prison. <laughs> like, I don't. I do not want to know what size bra this 13-year-old girl wears, and I would rather, like, chop off an arm than think about it any longer. And, like, the Clickbooks, looking back, like, really sexualizing, like, 11-year-olds. Yeah. And also, like, they had the author of the Clickbooks on the podcast after they had, like, really, really gone in on them, and... They were like, so it's ironic, right? Like, it's satire? And she was like, yeah, no one understood that I was writing satire. This woman's a weirdo, for real. (laughs) She's so strange. She, like, really is. Interesting. I really, yeah, I remember really liking them because they were so specific. Like, things like bra sizes, or, like, the brands of their clothes, or the fact that Mm. they would, like, walk in, in tempo of a song. They'd be like, we're walking to this song. And then you, like, think about it in your head and then mm. walk to that beat. I was like, whoa. And then they would say what song it was. And like the references were like not like super current or like they didn't really relate to me, a Midwestern elementary schooler. But I was like, oh, I just love the specificity of it. And I feel like you have to be like really writing either like really skillful satire or just like kind of a freak for real. If, like, if you're writing with, like, such precision about, like, that type of character. I don't know. It was, I really ate them up, but. Speaking of the specificity, maybe this is another way in which we differ. I needed her to describe 50% less about the outfits. (laughs) at least at one point they're like going to the night court and she is really setting the scene like it's really almost like written like stage direction in a play yeah with like how much she's describing the outfits and they like go to the night court and she's like and i'm not dressed like a whole rice re whore anymore like i'm dressed like his queen and she describes his outfit and her outfit and then at the end she says that they are Night triumphant and stars eternal. And I was like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Like, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Like I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Yeah. I liked the outfits. I did. I put that in the outline. I said I like the outfits, smiley face. I think it's fun. I like I just like to know what to imagine. Because like I'm already having to do all of this work. To like imagine your world that you have not world built at all. You have the <laughs> True. flimsiest world building ever. I'm doing a lot of fucking work, Sarah. So at least tell me what they're wearing and how they look. And she does. And I appreciate that. And like there's things about it, like, there's things that she is good at, like, kind of coming back to a lot. Like, she talked about the Illyrian leathers that they wear when they're flying. That's fine. That's two words. Yeah, I like that. That's fine. You you just feel like it's too long? Like, I don't need, like, a page in... Like, it reached a point where I felt like I was, like, reading, like, a cast list with their costumes next to them. <laughs> like, Cassians in his Illyrian leathers. Yeah. Asriel's in his Illyrian leathers, and he has Truth Teller with him. And Resand, because he's pretending to be Dick Resand right now, is wearing his Black Knight Court outfit. I and love it. And Sarah's wearing a dress. Yes. And the Morrigan is wearing this type of dress. And Amron's wearing her comfy pajamas that are professional. And it was like. And <laughs> we have to describe over a page of outfits? I like it. I, I'm not going to be a hater with you about this. I think it's fun, I think it's nice. And I, I don't think I've ever, like, I'm trying to think about any time that I was like, what I really don't like about this is how much detail she's going into. And maybe this is an area where we differ, because I'm trying to think about, like, an equivalent experience that I have of, like, I'm just like, shut the fuck up, I don't want to hear about this. And I feel like maybe it's just a difference in how we are as readers. Like, I kind of. Tend to like a meandering description of a lot of the like set set the scene for me set it yeah and I feel like you're more like okay what's happening yeah I would agree I think I really do think it is literally just Night Triumphant and Stars Eternal that put me over the fucking edge yeah no that's awful and that's there's a lot of <laughs> stuff in this in this book that like really Puts me in the frame of mind of like, you know how like it would like absolutely no one is a gangster if you can see what they like send to their significant other at the end of the night. Like anybody's texts, if they're in love, they are they don't look cool at all. You just yes. like like yeah. you're like goodnight, and <laughs> shit like that. I feel like there's a lot of stuff in this book like night triumphant and stars eternal or like he's the high lady and I'm his high lord. Like a bunch of like cringe stuff in here that is kind of meant to convey more than anything, how much she is in love. Like she is really speaking like a woman in love. And you can okay. tell by how like chuggy everything she says is, you know? And But I think that it's important to remember that all of us are like that when we are in love. Yeah. That's true. I am being a hater. (laughs) And so I think the Night Triumph and Stars Eternal thing, like, she's just having a little bit of a romantic moment about, like, we're out. We're going out with our friends, and we have good outfits on, and whatever. You know? So, peace and love to her. I wish her all the best. I'm... Shockingly, not being the biggest hater on the podcast <laughs> today, I think I yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I think I can think of it as like a little bit sweeter now. I also the whole like every time the pharaoh was like, I wanted to paint it, I'm like, shut up, <laughs> yeah, I <agree> with that. <laughs> like they you can tell that Sarah J Moss is not a painter by the way that she writes her character, who's a painter. And you're, uh, you're allowed to not just write what you know, but I do feel that it shows that she just like, it's like what I want this, what I want this hobby to tell about this character is that she has a softer side and she cares about beauty, but like there's a lot more to being a painter than that. So much more There's like a lot of technique, like a lot of technique to being an artist. And a lot of like, I don't know, like if you just, I wish that she had like, if she really, really was married to the idea of her main character being a painter, I wish she had like read a bunch of interviews with painters about like how they think about like the inspiration that they get for a painting and, like, the process that they go through. Because she'll just, like, go into these, like, fugue states and then she, like, oh, wakes up and she's painted the entire cabin on the inside. And, like, I'm just like, that's not ha- ha- my understanding of the artistic process really at all. So, what I am picturing truly, what the inside of that cabin looked like by the time she was done with it was, like, all the angel wing murals there are in Nashville. <laughs> Like that's what I'm seeing is like Yeah like Ugly kind as well. of like photo photo op paintings. Like yeah. I was really picturing like Which like I think Sarah J. Moss is trying to like make her out to be like some type of like legitimate artist. Right. And then you like hear about what she's painting and you're like, that's cheesy as fuck. Like, when she looks in the Ouroboros and, like, sees her worst self and then paints, like, a snow leopard, because, like, that's what her worst self (laughs) looks like. Please. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Or when she paints everybody in the group's eyes, like, just their eyes, as though that would be, like, do you think you would be able to recognize a painting of my eyes, like, just, like without the rest of my face. Jess, I didn't know Sam, I- Sam's eyes were green until like eight months ago. we have been dating like almost two years. I actually made him really sad when he was like, oh. what color my eyes? And I was like, brown. <laughs> I, I think that I pay a little more attention to eyes than a lot of people because I'm a bitch with blue eyes. And so it's like a <laughs> conversation topic a lot. And I like, I'm someone who, from far away, you would not think I have blue eyes, so people comment on it a lot. Like, it doesn't really match Mm. my coloring that well. Yeah. And so it's a topic of conversation. And then people will be like, open your eyes so I can see them, and they look at them. So I've like really looked into a lot of people's eyes. But I don't think that I would be able to recognize, like, hardly anybody by just their eyes. And it's, she just, like, no. paints sets of eyes around, and is like, yeah, oh, those are Cassians, those are Asriel's. Like, no. That's giving, that's giving, or the cat ears drew the anime in high school. What? girl Like, you know the girl who would wear the little, like, cat hat, and she would just, like, draw yeah. anime all yes. day? That's what it's giving. Oh, I see like the the doodles that are like very detailed, yeah but, and like very styli- stylized, yeah, I could see that, but even that would be cool like it seems like it's just i don't know like it's it's very her style seems to be very photorealistic, but i not not a fan um, let's talk about other grading choices besides Farrah being a painter. First person, all my homies hate first person when it is done poorly. When it's done poorly, it's worse than third person. Third person, I think, could – I feel like third person has a lower ceiling but a higher floor than first person. First Mm, person, you could really soar, but you could also really, really fall. Yeah. And I feel like the first person's not done super well in here. No, it's... First person can be really good when you are, like, writing a book that is, like, truly a character study. Yeah, right. But, like, Farah isn't that interesting. <laughs> yeah, like, she's not... Like, what's interesting... Is the world. And, like, right. we could have understood her trauma journey and, like, Rhysanne's relationship to it without it being first person. Yeah. We could have. Yeah. I agree. Definitely. And, like, I was thinking about um, other approaches to point of view that I have thought were really, really successful in the fantasy genre. And one that I think is really good is in The Name of the Wind series, which is only two books, but it's supposed to be more. If God Loves Me. Never happening. Yeah. It's never happening. (laughs) (laughs) But there is supposed to be a a screen adaptation with Lin-Manuel Miranda, so we'll see how that goes. Lin-Manuel Miranda, get your fingers out of the pie! He signed it in 2016, and I was thrilled because that was really happening at that moment. At his height. And I had just read those books, and so I was like, oh my god. This is... I'm thrilled. My boyfriend at the time that I was in a protracted breakup with, we really paused the breakup for a second because we were like, oh my god, this. I can't believe he's got the IP. (laughs) Anyway. Oh my god. The Name of the Wind, I love that book so much. So much so that it convinced me that another guy was smart when he actually wasn't, but he had it on his bookshelf and I was like, oh my god. (laughs) And it took me. A while to figure out that that was not the case. It really stigmatized me without even, with no dick. It was just, the, the book was so powerful. The reason why I like that book is because there's a frame story of the main character, like, having been sort of, like, shattered by experience, by trauma, who's, like, working as a barkeeper, and he's telling the story to a chronicler of history, or whatever, like, telling the story of his life. Basically, like he has been wrecked by something we don't even know yet. Um, And he's like recounting the story of like how it led up to his demise, like how he became this like powerful magician or wizard or whatever, and then how that like led to his downfall. And so all of his first person narration is like within this frame story that we sometimes come out of, like there will be chapters that are like in the bar where he's telling the story but even with like the first person narration there's always kind of like a sense of like time and like reflection where like he would say like i said this i did this i thought this and then sometimes he like pulls back a little bit and it's like but i didn't know at the time that blank so there's like a reflectiveness to the perspective that makes it feel like there's a reason why it's first person you know what i mean yeah Like, it adds something. And this felt kind of purposeless. Yeah, it just was. It just was. Yeah. Um, I have other complaints beyond first person, and they are ones I have said every single week, so I will just speak on this for, like, 30 seconds and then we can move the fuck on. All of the ellipses, all of the italicization, all of the parentheticals. Everything that she's doing to, like, create sentence structure and to put emphasis on things. Yeah. There's too much of it. Mm-hmm. There's too much of it. Right. Just a little less. Give yeah. Give me less. You don't need to do so much. More evocative gestures and fewer of them. Like Sally Rooney does. She does, here's what the person said. Here's how their body language looked. That's all. yeah yeah Yeah. well and it's amazing what the words he paused could do (laughs) like imagine she's always being like dot 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 said something dot 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 said something dot 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 dot." no one I, i mean like i guess we are currently speaking in like a non-visual medium where I have to go back through and edit out a zillion pauses, <laughs> which is what takes so long. So people are pausing that much when they speak. But, like, I think you can under, like, English is not a logical language to learn. That's not what I'm saying. But I, like, language is logical. You understand what people are saying if you have contextualized the situation well enough. Yeah. Yeah. And if you know the characters well enough, like, if you understand kind of, like, what they generally want, then you're going to understand that a if someone tells them bad news, they're probably going to say, like, that's not what I wanted to hear in a resigned way. Not in a, like, that's not what I wanted to hear. Bouncy little yeah. tone. You know, like, you don't always exactly. have all of the, like adverbs and like the like three sentences of description of like the tone that someone said something in it gets pretty exhausting your next thing the vulgar gesture do you think it's just flipping people off how do you envision it i have always envisioned it as flipping someone off but i'm wondering if she's trying to be like but technically the middle finger doesn't exist in this world, so they do something else. This right. is way that, like, you know when you're in elementary school and you will, like, give someone a thumbs up and they'll be like, if we were in Iceland right now, like, yeah. I'd be suing you for your whole house. Yeah. You know? Like, or I'm someone will put their trying pinky to cr- up and they're like, in China, that's flipping you off. So I think that maybe she's trying to create a little bit of that vibe. And she's like, in Prithian... This is how you say fuck you. Yeah. I mean, then tell you. What does it or mean? Or just to have them flip someone off. What does it mean? What is yeah. the longer gesture? And I did like see it? a very Go ahead. funny Instagram reel of that. That was, like, cut together, like, 18 different scenes from friends where they, like, smack their wrists together. Yeah. And I did think that was funny. That is funny. And there are, like, it would be hard to, like, invent a new gesture like that and then, like, make it actually, like, have sort of, like, oomph for the reader. You know, like, when I when I teach Romeo and Juliet to my students, and I explain to them that biting your thumb is, like, flipping someone off, they are like, what? Like, it just, like, kind of, like, doesn't have the same visceral, like, thing to them. It doesn't hit the same way. And so, especially, like, when we watch the 1996 version of the... Romeo and Juliet play where they do the bite your thumb thing in like a very exaggerated way that's meant to be like, (gasps) the offense, the insult, like it's, it's hard to actually like really grasp that, but still the vulgar, she just overuses it. Like instead of making a joke or like having clever banter, it's just always, always, she made a vulgar gesture. He laughed. Like, everybody thinks it's so funny. Well, and she'll, like, send a vulgar gesture down the bond. Which doesn't are make you any just, sense. Like, floating an emoji of the middle finger <laughs> down the bond <laughs> to your partner? Like, are they just sending emojis back like, down the bond? Like, what are you? What the fuck am I supposed to be visualizing? Like, is it, like, <laughs> Rainbow Road over to Rice sand's Mine? You, like, are sending something on little mining carts? I just, oh. like, <laughs> that pisses me off. Yeah. Like, I, what I imagine when you just said that is, like, you know when you, like, send an emoji as a reaction to someone's Instagram post and then, like, there's still you can still (laughs) see the photo but then there's just like a bunch of emojis that just like come out (laughs) because like yeah they can still see they can still see their surroundings and then there's just an image and i'm like how is it just like superimposed onto what they're already seeing like how are are they on facetime in their minds (laughs) So the way that the bond works for like other couples, like when Nesta and Cassian become mates or mates, or when um the main characters in Crescent City that I don't currently know the names of, but I'm sure I'll remember by the time the third book comes out in <laughs> January. Um Oh, it's I think it's Bryce and Hunt. Bryce Um Girl. Oh. Okay. Yeah, you wish. We all wish. Whatever. <laughs> um, um. When they get together, like, the mating bond is basically just, like, you can tell the person is alive. And it's kind of, it's kind of, you're kind of like an empath, but only for that person. Yeah, okay. Like, you know when they're, like, happy, sad,
1: right? scared,
0: in danger, that sort of thing. But, like, Rhysand and Farrah's is literally, like... We know everything. We are do anything. Like, they're, they're just, like, texting to each other. See, <laughs> so, yeah, and, like, they do the really cute thing before their mates where, like, she'll, like, write a little piece of paper on a little piece of paper and then it will, like, disappear into the ether and then, like, yeah. resand will fa- send her one back. That's cute. It is cute. They're pen pals. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense than being, like, I sent a vulgar gesture down the bond or, like, I sent an image of me sticking my tongue out at him, and then he sent an image of him eating my pussy back. Like. Yeah. It what just. The fuck? I don't like It that. doesn't make any sense. I hate it like, when they I sex down the them. bond. I hate when they sex down the bond. They can talk down the bond. If you guys want to text each other, that's fine. But, like, it's not even texting. They're just, like constant phone call because they have they're both like damatai and can talk to each other in their minds are they here's (laughs) my question are they always wearing a wire like are they always I think I think that Rhysand can always hear Farah, and she cannot always hear Reesan. scary I think that he only tells her what he wants her to know scary oh that makes me scared <laughs> because he's like so mentally strong and she's yeah basically a fey infant like every like they're like well she has all the high lord's powers so she's so powerful it's very interesting so in throne of glass like aelin is the main character aelin River Galfinus. sure and they refer to her by all three of her names a lot um and she, um, basically is, like, the savior of this world, and there's a lot of talk, and this happens in Crescent City, too, when people are, like, reaching into their power, it's like they're, they're, like, falling down a well and can, like, reach to the bottom. But for some reason, in this book series, they're just like, and my magic was kind of tired. <laughs> and, like, we never, like, it's in first person. We should know everything about the way that pharaoh reaches for her magic right so i don't know why she was so specific about it in front of glass and crescent city and then in Akatar, she was just like oh yeah pharaoh's really powerful because she's a high lady there's never been a high lady before like what the fuck about prithian is gonna make her more powerful right just because like resand gave her a title yeah that she didn't even like it's not like as soon as she got the power she was a high lady. He just, like, happens to be a little bit more progressive than Tamlin, and therefore is, like, head up, queen. Your crown was falling with that horrible man. Not with me. Yeah, no, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. But that kind of gets to the idea of there are no rules. And there don't have to be rules. Because... There are like different types of fantasy books, and some fantasy books really, really, really care a lot about the rules. Yeah. Or will go so into detail about the world building that you're like, oh my god, can something happen already? Like, if you've ever tried to read The Hobbit, you know this experience. It... When I read... Lord of the Rings, literally the first chapter. I was like, I don't know any of these words. <laughs> Nothing. Like, I'm a really now. good reader, and I don't know any of that. I was like, second breakfast. That's sick, and that was the only thing that I like grabbed onto in the first chapter of, Lord of the Rings. Well, he's like talking. I just didn't understand that he was like talking about the history of the world and how it was made. Yeah. Like, I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to know who Sauron is? Right. Like, yeah. I don't know what that word means. Well, it always is like that to read fantasy at the beginning. You're always like, That's true. Period. Tu velo. The entire well. time. But then you, it, like, kind of takes shape. But there should be something happening while it's taking shape. And you start to, like, understand the characters while you're understanding the world. But J.R.R. Tolkien, which he was a pioneer of the form, it's fine. He was like, "No, no, no, no. I need to establish everything. We need to do like a historical montage, and then I can introduce who the people are." But that is a little bit more like hard fantasy. Like he actually like made a language, which is much more like in detail. And then soft fantasy is more like, "Oh, it's just based on vibes." Like we don't have to know exactly what the rules are. It's not really about that. Like, don't look over there. Don't look behind the curtain. It's fine. No big deal. And the same thing is true with, like, science fiction. Like, there's some types of science fiction where it really, really matters whether it's possible and based on real science. And there's some science fiction that's just like, like, Star Wars. What if, oh, this stuff was the case, you know? So that's allowed. I think that the thing about soft fantasy for me is I either want the characters to be really strong or the world building to be really strong. And I feel like both in this book are just right there. Like they both could be so much better and I want either of them to be, they don't both have to be, but if either of them were, then I would be like, yeah, and I will be reading the other two, but I don't think I will. Yeah, I agree. And I mean there's also the book talk girlies are not really reading high fantasy or soft fantasy. They are just reading romantic fantasy. Right. Like if there is not a romance in it, they are not reading it. And like I think that really I don't know, that might really say something about like our inability to think that like friendship is as important as romance. Hmm. But like they love a found family. Yeah, And, like, if you think about, like, Six of Crows, the main, the main ship that, like, survives the series is Kaz and... Inej. Oh, Inej. And they, like, touch pinkies at the end of the second book. And you're like, this is huge! This is crazy! Yeah. Yeah, if we want to talk about trauma-informed writing... Let's give Lee Bardugo her her accolades, but yeah. like I wish that people liked friendship enough to find books worth reading just for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm wondering if. There is no such thing as a book for women that is just about friendship unless it's, like, fucking Ann Patchett and it's the saddest shit you've ever read in your life about, like, divorce. Well, I don't think that, I don't know, I feel like some books are just books and they don't have to be for women. Like, I feel, well, people kind of make fun of me sometimes because they say that I have, like, boy taste, but I feel like that maybe that is... It speaks to how I, like, don't really find romance to be, like, that important in my reading. But, like, I think there are a lot of genres that are, like, predominantly read by women that are not primarily or solely focused on romance. Like, a lot of, like, literary fiction is not exclusively for women, but I think that it is, like, probably engaged with, by women a little bit more than men, with the exception of, like, certain male authors that everyone knows are kind of, like, for the boys. But even then, like there are a lot of women reading Cormac McCarthy, you know, like it's not there doesn't always have to be like a gender binary. Non-emo. And, it's, and it, like it really doesn't have to be like that. But there are some books that are like really, really for the girls. And those tend to be like very romantic, which kind of annoys me. Like, I feel like why does it if it's for the girls, why does it have to be about the boys? Oh, that's a good take. I think that's something that we can get into with Brennan next week, since we're reading romance books that he recommended to me. Yeah, that is So, like, we can really talk about, like, why he sought that out, and, like, what he found compelling about it, because I gotta tell you, it can't be the writing. (laughs) Like, it cannot be the writing. I literally just had to skip Four pages of a description of a man listening to a woman sing an original song, which made me want to throw up. (laughs) So, like, (laughs) or maybe I'm going to have to ask Brennan if he's, like, really into serenades. Ooh. I would, like, I think that it would really be so special for me if Brennan came on here on Discord.com with you and said, oh, that's my favorite part. I like hummed along my own little tune, and I can sing it for you. And he will probably not sing it, but I want him we to will like, be <laughs> I want him to- cameras off first episode. <laughs> I want just him to be for safety reasons. Really like engaged with it so much that he's like, yeah, like I loved the song. Like I think that that would be beautiful and special. <laughs> well, the Elle Kennedy is being smart. She's not telling us the lyrics. Yeah. Well, She's just like, and I played these chords. I think that um the only song from a book, like original song that I can think of. Actually there's two. One the one from Hunger Games, the hanging tree song. Yeah. That one goes crazy. The other one yeah. is the song from Holes, which I remember when I read Holes when I was in like 5th grade, the part where there's the song. I was like Okay, anyway, like, like the fact that it was a song was, like, like, just did not hit for me at all. I remember being like, that's weird. And then when the movie was adapted, then the song became, like, a part of the movie, or a part of the book to me. And I reread it after I watched the movie. And I was like, and this song, which adds to, like, the sort of, like, atmosphere. Like, it becomes, like, part of it. And it's important. I feel like when you write a song into a book and it's, like, pivotal to, like, something about, like, the emotional texture of the book, you're asking too much for us to actually have that hit for us. Like, you have to, you, we're not going to be able to do that. You have to wait till there's, like, like a movie. Daisy Jones and the Six, the music in the book, I didn't read a single word of. If I saw (laughs) italics... In, like, a large chunk. I was like, next thing! Yeah, that's not going to be But in the show, I sobbed at the end of Daisy Jones and the Six, the Amazon Prime series, and I didn't even like it that much. (laughs) Was it because of the music? No, it was because when... Spoilers for Daisy Jones and the Six. When... Billy's wife, Camilla, is dying of cancer at the end. They've been, like, cutting back and forth through the interviews. And right at the end of the last interview, she's like, wait, let me adjust my... And then she adjusts her wig because she's dying of cancer. And then it shows, like, her... And then, like, Billy talks about her death in his interview. And then his daughter, who is the, like, documentarian... Is like, Mom wanted me to show you this, and it's this clip of Camilla, his wife, being, like, your father was a good man. Like, I hope that, like, she, like, knew she was going to die. She's basically, like, I hope that he and Daisy, like, find a way to, like, find that love they had for each other when they were young, even though Billy chose to stay with me. Like, I hope that they, like, get back together, basically. And it's, like, this big, like, full circle, like, Billy is crying, and he, like, the show ends with him, like, knocking on Daisy's door in oh. Los Angeles, and her opening the door with that, like, big Daisy Jones smile, and I was, like, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> like, sobbing alone on the couch to this show that was not very good. <laughs> wow. The power of Amazon Prime Video. Which like has yet to make a, a great television show. Um, the marvelous Miss Maisel. But differ, that's true. That's true. I am so sorry. I did forget about the marvelous Miss Maisel. Isn't that where um the um New York Times like love stories were too? Was that on yeah. Amazon Prime? Yeah. Oh. Oh no. Modern Love. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the one where she, um, it's the mom from How I Met Your Mother, and she, like, gets pregnant out of wedlock, and she, like, goes through her whole pregnancy by herself, except the doorman, like, checking in on her every day, Uh. and then she, like, finds a good man, and then they leave the apartment building, and they, like, move out to the suburbs, and then she, like, comes back to visit, and he, like, always knows her daughter's name, and, like, they Uh. all, all, ugh. (laughs) just (laughs) ugly ass tears yeah that is special i love it anyway can i rank the men please rank the men okay here i go so well i didn't put um their father on this list ferris father on this list even though he is the only man who made me cry in this whole book but i just kept it i kept it to men who are like Kind of, like, of, like, who seem like they're, like, a option. An option to see, yeah, to, you know what I mean? Like a romantic option or whatever. Yeah. To someone who's a character. So, number one. Well, actually, let me start with the last. Last, King of Highburn. I just had to put him on here. He sucks. He has no good good traits. I looked up when this book was written. Because there were some things about it that, like, felt a little bit Trumpy to me, where, like, there was a sense of, like, the people of Highburn feel that they have been, like, kept out of opportunities for too long because the humans have too many rights. And we need to take away the humans' rights so that we can have more rights and we can be in charge. Blah, blah, blah. And King of was giving Trump to me. Yeah. He also, like, had, like, a mysterious amount of power that, like, wasn't really coming from him. It was coming from his willingness to use objects that no one else had the audacity to use. And I was like, that is also yeah. giving Trump a little bit. So, yeah. hate him. He's at the bottom of the list. Next is Tamlin, aka Tampon, aka Tamtrum, who I know I'm on the record saying that I feel a little bad for him, but he still is toxic and a member of the Manosphere, I would think. I think that he probably yeah. would be listening to some toxic podcasts. So I think he would be, like, a Jordan Peterson guy. Like, not huh. full Andrew Tate, but you know what I mean? Like, the respectability, yeah. like, stand yeah. up, be a protector, all of that. I feel like that's his Yeah. Vibe. Okay. I get that. Um, Then we have Jurian, who is one of the only humans who actually stays human in this series. And he is, like, uh, so... He's so old because he was alive 500 years ago and then reanimated. And so he, like, kind of is, like, I feel like there could have been a lot done with the fact that he, like, is alone in the world. Like, he, like, is brought back against his will and is the only, like, person of his kind. And he's plotting and scheming and we think he's bad, but then he's good and all that. And I just think he's kind of interesting. So Dorian's next. Then... You put in Dad, which I think is fair. Recent is next, who is, like, book boyfriend in Miss and Fury, but then he gets a little bit problematic to me, from what I understand Fury. in the rest of the books. Yes. Then, Helion, bisexual king, the lord of the day court. He just is fun. I like him. And then, Asriel and Cassian are tied, mostly because I feel like, like, I kept... Putting one or the other above the other one, and then I was like, no, but like, but like they're both good. Like I could, I couldn't yeah. separate them. I think that they yeah. both are. I love them both, and I, yeah. I really had a lot of like Tumblr adjacent feelings about them. Like they put me the most in like a Tumblr mood. Does that make I sense? <laughs> yes, it does. It does. Like. In the third book, when Pharaoh's like at the end of her rope and Eris is literally trying to like strangle her with fire, and Azrael and Cassian end on the land on the ice, you're like, Yay! YES! They're here! our <laughs> yeah. her boyfriend's best friends are here! I just love them. And the way they yeah. all, call, all call each other brothers, even though they're not brothers, and they all have tragic backstories, and they're so good. I just it. Azrael's, really, yeah. Azrael's backstory. I'm sorry. That man in the real world. That man would have to be locked up because he would be batshit insane. Yeah, yeah. And that's true. And that's true. But I just, I'm really a, a sucker for men who are friends and kind of suffering, but remaining friends and remaining good. Like it's like the Angel Ross effect. You know what I mean? yeah oh <laughs> I just that really it, yeah, and then number one, I feel I just have to put him here is Lucian, who I really i know that like you could critique how he like didn't protect Farrah enough from Tamlin's being controlling and like all of that stuff. I feel like he just like was doing his best and wanted to be very loyal and was just trying, and he really has a lot of growth and learns a lot and just kind of like is with her for the entirety of her journey in a way that nobody else is. Like he was there when she first came to the spring court and he is there at the end. And I love that he is with her, seeing her through all of that. I also think that like, we are really to understand that like, the mating bond is kind of like, like someone is kind of just like, microplaning your brain a little bit all the time when you are when like the bond is not accepted like oh. you yeah like they're really like like Rhysand is like having a hard time and Cassian is like having a hard time like it's like kind of just like you're getting like poked every yeah. once in a while all the time and so for Lucian to like have grown up in a really toxic court and also like he like sees Elaine, realizes they're mates, and then Elaine is just like sucked away for like three months. Yeah. Like and Lucian is like giving her space and being very gentle and like trying his very best. I think that like Cassian and Azriel and Rhysand all have like elements of toxic masculinity to them in terms of their like protectiveness. Yeah. And I kind of like Lucian's wiliness. Yeah. Because he's never like Farah, you're not allowed to do that, or I'm going to do that instead of you because I can do it better. He's just like, oh, yeah, you might be the best candidate for that. Yeah. (laughs) You probably have to do it. Yeah. Like, he's just kind of like, we do need to politic. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And I really appreciate that about him. Like, he Uh seems to be the only pragmatic one there. (laughs) Yeah. He's the only one who's not, like, Getting like overcome with rage to the point that he is like acting truly bonkers. Batshit, if you will. He is acting like he always has control over himself. Which it yeah. makes like it makes sense. Even with Elaine. Yeah, and it makes sense that he would, because like if you think about like being the youngest son of all these sons and like having such a sort of, like, toxic family environment and then growing up mostly outside of your own court. Like, you have to learn how to, like, internalize and, like, deal with everything by yourself. And also, like, the fact that, like, people could be mad at him. And, like, I've seen people on Reddit be mad at him for, like, not protecting Feyre from Tamlin. She protected herself. She got out. And also, like, how was he, like, he knew, obviously, that Tamlin's overprotectiveness was causing Feyre harm. Like he knew that she was like kind of like struggling with it, but I also feel like if you're in that situation, you're kind of like, Okay, well, like Tamlin is my best friend who has always like taken care of me, and I love him, and I am loyal to him. And Farah seems like she's like up to something. What's going on when she comes back? But I'm fast forwarding too much when she like initially comes back from under the mountain and she's like wasting away, and Tamlin is doing all this. He's like, Tamlin is going through a lot. She went through a lot. She is, she just needs time to heal. Which would make sense. Like, if you were in that situation, you're like, she just needs time. How are you to know exactly what she needs? How are you to know? And how, what, what would you do? Where would you? Well, and like, it kind of feels like, okay, well, Farrah and Rhysand in the inner circle, they're allowed to have trauma and we're going to talk about it. But like, it kind of feels like Lucy and Tamlin are not allowed to have trauma and like i'm not saying that tamlin isn't a buffoon that (laughs) is not what i'm saying but he also went through like i they had a mask on their face for 50 years yeah like they were like under amarantha's thumb the way that everyone else was they also grew up in traumatic environments like it's weird of people to be like well, these two traumatized men should have just like done a better job, which like everyone should always do a better job, like yeah. we as humans should take care of each other better than we do, but it is a weird standard to be like Lucian should have done better, but like the inner circle can't do anything wrong. Don't worry about them, like reason yeah. being terrible to Nesta, like he's allowed to do that because Nesta didn't take care of Farah, okay, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't really like that either. And, like, Weird the fact that, that like, Tamlin spent 50 years being like, I'm the only one who can free Prithian from Amaranthus' curse, like, that is all on me. And then Have afterwards, he, he was, like, trying to make everything all on him after he was, like, not able to free Prithian from the curse, and then Veyra ended up freeing Prithian from the curse instead of him. And he was like, okay, I failed, but she succeeded, and now I can be the one who is, like, making sure that everything is okay, because I'm back, like, where I am comfortable, and I'm no longer un- under Amarantha's thumb. I can make up for my failure of the past 50 years by making sure that Fair is safe, after she did has done so much for me. Like, all of that makes sense. Like, that's not, like... I don't know. Like, that that feels like a narrative that makes sense to me. Yeah. And so I think that Sarah J Moss could have, like, explored that a little bit more. That could have been interesting. Like, using Tamlin in a different way, which she sort of did. But, like, kind of, like, showing that they're, like, all of it, everything makes sense that he's doing. But also, I think the fans could do a little bit more of that on their own, have some critical thinking skills and be like, I think that if I were in that situation, I would also be doing too much. Yeah. I think that like, I think that maybe people are therapy speaking themselves out of thinking critically Mm -hmm. because like Sarah J Moss Is is so, Gentle with the way that she talks about, like Farrah's trauma and what she's trying to work through, and the way that she feels about Tamlin and the way she feels about Rhysand. It is. I'm like wondering if she just had to be so heavy handed -handed about Tamlin being bad, so that readers would be like, "We're done with him." Yeah, like we're all in on Rhysand because, like, when I read the first book, I, like an idiot, was like. Why the fuck are we talking about Resan so much? (laughs) Like, Tamlin is under the mountain with him, or her. Like, where is he? And what are we gonna do for two more fucking books? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm the ideal stupid fantasy romance reader. (laughs) Because I'm like, yes, feed it to me! Take me for a ride! Yeah, take me for a ride! But like, I do wish that like, like, and I think that's what makes fandom kind of toxic, toxic as a, like, societal group in any way, is because fandoms are just there to have groupthink. Yeah. So true. And, like, the people who do attempt to, like, think critically and make, make criticisms, like, BookTok and Bookstagram are, like, full of people being like, okay. Let's talk about this. Maybe we can talk about this. And then they'll just get, like, shouted down in the comments. Yeah. In terms of, like, trying to think critically and have conversations about things. Which I think kind of blows. Like, the whole thing about literature is there is so much of it that everyone can read stuff that they like. Yeah. Yeah. No one should hate you for not liking a book. Right. And you can, like, like things for different reasons. Like, this can be a popcorn book. I enjoyed reading it. It was a popcorn book for me. Someone else might be like, this is really, like, genuinely good, and I'm obsessed with it, and I've read it 12 times, like the people that I'm seeing on Reddit, and that's fine. And I should be less of a hater. However, you know, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Okay? But I think that we all could probably comment less on TikToks, specifically, and Just take our our concerns to podcasts. Yeah. More (laughs) podcasts. Everyone should just make more podcasts. Hey. I mean, have we hurt anybody's feelings yet? I don't think so. And if we just... Write me a fucking review! No one's doing that! (laughs) I should write a review. I'll write a review. I'll be like, that girl, Jess, she sounds hot. She sounds (laughs) hot. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god okay I'm adding more Rex do you want to talk about like more of Too Many Hands or do we think we've talked enough about how like vaguely disturbing we found the sex in this book I feel we've talked about it enough I feel that there are listeners okay. who after you said that were probably like are you done yet can you be done <laughs> <laughs> and we are done and we are done so We are done. We are. I think we've made enough purring jokes. Yeah. Like, it's enough. So as you were typing about your Rex, the last thing I'll say, as I just kind of said, is like, with fantasy books, like having it be a popcorn book, is it possible for something to be both easy to read and fun to read and just kind of like a brain-off, silly little read? and also be well-written? Or is there kind of, like, a a dichotomy there where, like, it makes it much easier to read when it's written with less, like, complexity and nuance and, to some extent, detail? So, I think that it is possible for it to be a popcorn book and be well-written. I am wondering if it is not possible for it to have good smut be a popcorn book and have enough interesting world building. Like, I'm wondering if you can't have the triangle. Mm. And, like, part of the reason that these books are popular is for the romance. Yeah. Actually, I'm looking at my recommendation list right now, and I am seeing that like the books that I like love and care about are YA (laughs) yeah like they're YA there is like not a lot of stuff on here that like has much smut and I think that's partially because like Sarah J Moss is like really the only one doing it to him on fantasy that I have enjoyed reading like when I was going through my Libby I was like looking at the ones that are considered like dark fantasy romances and I don't like them Hmm. I have started like three or four of them and read like the first like two or three chapters and I've been like eh Eh." this doesn't seem very good like I'm not having a very good time and I just like haven't read them like I think the thing that like pulled people into Avatar and like pulls people into Throne of Glass and all of this stuff is like there's immediately a mystery. Like, there is even a mystery to Throne of Glass. Like, the first thing that happens in the first chapter is she, like, breaks herself out of prison. Sick. Because she's an assassin. That's fun! Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that, so, I. You're right about the triangle. I think that's a good take. I can't find, I can't think of any book that, like, doesn't break that like i'm trying to i'm trying to think of i mean like something like game of thrones the books it has sex in it it has like a really detailed world i think it's well written but the sex is not smut like it's like no. usually like sexual assault which sucks like game of thrones is not yeah. for the girls at all no and so well, i'm like Go ahead. Girls like me who are trying to be people of taste—that <laughs> was a joke. no I, mean, I Promise yeah. that that's—I don't mean that. But like, if you are a woman reading books like those, you're you like acutely feel that it's not for you. But yeah, you can still read it because women are like conditioned to know how to read stuff that's not for them. But men do not have that same ability or conditioning. And so, like, I'm thinking about, like, Mm. if there were a series like A Song of Ice and Fire that, like, was very similar but written by a woman and, and, like, where there was sex, it was written in a way that would be appealing to women, that would immediately make it a book for women. Not for men. Yeah. Right. Which would immediately put it into this, like, sphere of the publishing world that is much more, like, fanfic pilled Because that's, like, where... Yeah. And so it's it just, like, makes it so that there are a bunch of women who are all, like, yeah, I fuck with Dune. Yeah, I fuck with A Song of Ice and Fire. But, like, I know that they're not for me, and I know they're boy books, but I don't care. And then there's, like, not anything that kind of, like, bridges the gap between those and Akatar, Which yeah. I'm sure is not actually true. I'm sure I'm doing the thing... Where I'm like, why is no one talking about this? When really I just haven't heard anyone talk about this. Like, there probably are a lot of books that are just like, don't have as much hype and haven't been adapted on HBO. Yeah. I, I have one I want to talk to about, talk about a little bit that might cross all three of those. But it also, the world building was, it was pretty good. I wonder if I fucked myself over by skimming. And the world building <laughs> was like better than I like actually thought it was. And I just uh I just missed some stuff. Yeah. Um I will say I'm not like a chapter skipper. Like I don't really like skip whole pages usually unless there's songs involved. I, I like really songs. I, I just songs. don't know if I read every word on every page. Let's talk about recommendations. Cause yeah. I we've already been recording for an hour and a half and I don't know if we have time to get into the nuance of the fact that there are no gay people in these books, and the ones who are there are caricatures. Yeah. And Tuck also said there are no black people, but I think there are a lot of. I think the Summer Court, they're black, and I think Helion is black. I think that there are certain Ooh. courts that are like mostly like people of darker skin. But none of the main characters, you're correct. It seems like there's, like, certain courts that are, like, have different ethnic groups, but all of the main courts that we actually have characters from have white people. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Yeah. I'm sure that it just happened to be that way. Anyway... I don't really have any good recommendations for, like, romance fantasy. The only thing that I could even think of that I've ever read is Outlander, which I feel like is not the same. It's the same in that there's magic and there's smut. And I did enjoy it. in the 90s, it, like, originally came out in, like, the late 90s or early 2000s, right? And, like, just got picked up by stars and, like, made into a show. And, like, there's like, a little bit of merit rape in it, but don't worry, it's sexy because it's Jamie! Yeah. So like, yeah. Haha. Yes. Yes. Um, so, if you want to read more Sergei Moss, I fucking love the Throne of Glass series. I think I'm going to buy the whole thing now that there's new, less terrible anime covers. <laughs> the original covers, here, I'm going to send you the original cover to Throne of Glass in the group chat. I right, in find the, it really in the tough chat. the the like aesthetic conventions of the the fantasy publishing industry. I do find really tough. I like the new the Akatar covers. Good, like yes. the fact that they're transitioning to like less offensive covers are good. To oh, me. like the new. That's are bad. they horrible? That's really bad. What I'm seeing is a glowing blue woman with. Um, armor on and like the weird like there's always like a fog and like weird like it's just bad you know what it looks like is it looks like the art that's made by ai you know how it's always in that very specific style that no one actually likes or i guess people like it but i don't like it Mm -hmm. it that's what it looks like to me and i don't fuck with it at all but there have been, like, moves to have a little bit better. Like, I think the Avatar books, I like the way that they look. There's more subtlety to the new Throne of Glass, like, book covers, too. And the, the series is fun, and it's long, and it's finished. Like, there's eight books. Oh, wow. You care a lot. There's the third book, she starts doing a bunch of different POVs, and you know what? It fucking bangs. It's so good. You are originally like I don't know why I'm supposed to care about this witch. I don't know why I'm supposed to care about her lore. And then by the last book you're like, can you take me back to the witch really quick? you on a cliffhanger and I'm worried about her. <laughs> um I do yeah, like these new covers. I've seen these at Target. The ones that are like kind of they the font does look a little bit Canva to me, but I don't hate yeah. that. I think canva is doing the lord's work yeah canva is the reason that half of people's shit looks good canva is the reason why a bunch of the girlies in my classes like me before they meet me because i have a bunch of stuff that's in canva and they're like okay she seems nice so throne of glass you could also read present city it kind of seems like she's turning it into you know how there's a a taylor jenkins read los angeles universe yeah Uh, Sergey Moss is unfortunately making a like fifteen book all one universe at this point because of the crossover with Crescent City. I they're like people are like pretty worried that Throne of not worried, they're excited. I'm worried. That Throne of Glass is also gonna get tied in. Because she tied up Throne of Glass with a little bow. Like Mm. we don't we don't have to go back in there. Book done. Book done. Um but Throne of Glass is very good. Crescent City is a little bit of gobbledygook at the beginning. And it's a lot more, she's, like, trying to make it kind of modern. Like, like people in Crescent City have definitely seen a cell phone. Hmm. Like, that's the kind of vibe that it is. It's kind of, like, techno fantasy. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. Yeah. And there's still different courts, which is cool. But not, like, the seven courts. It's more of, like, a... It's different. Okay. It's cool. Um, let's see. And then everything else that I'm recommending besides City of Brass is YA. So City of Brass is not YA, not because it's really smutty, but because it's really complicated. Yeah. Um It's um, more Middle Eastern. It's about genies and kind of the way that that whole fantasy lore works. And it's a lot of courts and politicking and the rich yes. and the poor. And it's very good. It's very good. It's very solid. I will say, as someone who is a romance lover, I was kind of like, can we get to it? Is there a romance? But it is deeply not central. Okay. Like, it is not central at all. I'm I'm actually like, I'm disappointed, as though I didn't just say that that's how I like it. But. Yeah. Like, her relationships to the men in her life matter. Yeah. But. Like, it doesn't really matter in a romantic sense. There's almost a little Mm. bit of, like, you have been my enemy for so long, I don't know what I'm supposed to do without you. Mm. But, like, not in a, like, and now they kiss kind of (laughs) way. Which, like, has been known to happen, and the girlies on Instagram are fucking feral for that shit. The enemies to lovers. I know about that one. Enemies to lovers, yeah. Um, I'd like to know if anybody outside of fantasy literature ever has that actual experience and it goes well. I feel like that, like, they're your enemy for a reason. They should stay. That's fair. Maybe that's Um, let's see. I'm gonna go from, uh, like, most YA YA to, like, moving into new adult YA. Yeah. So... Tamora Pierce is a genuinely, like, fairly intersectional author. She started writing in the 90s, um, and her books are all about girls. (laughs) Girls who get to do stuff that boys like to do. Like, her first series is, like, if you look at it through, like, I don't know if you can look at it through a trans lens, because the only reason that she is dressing as a man is so she can become a lady knight, but, like, she dresses as a man for, like, six years. And makes it all the way through night school. (laughs) Well, um, night school school is a funny way to put that. Um, like, she's, like, going to work during the day and then going to school at night. But she, like, becomes, yeah. And there's, like, a lot of, there is romance, but there's not that much sex. And then there's the next series about, it's very good. I like Tamora Pierce. She also has, um, a series about a cop that I really like, unfortunately. Oh, no. It's a trilogy. And they're, well, they're basically mysteries. So she's, like, the cops are called dogs, and the trainees are called puppies, which is fascinating to me. Instead of pigs and like, Yeah, exactly. But, like, the first one is all, there's, she grew up in, she grew up in the streets. <laughs> and so when there are, like, children being snatched, and either the ransom is paid and they're returned or the ransom is not paid and they are not returned like the cops are ignoring it but she's like I grew up in the streets and the whole book is her like solving this like long-standing mystery which like is interesting and fun and like the first time I read it shocker to all our listeners that I didn't guess who it was gonna be (laughs) until it until it happened but like it's actually very good and Tamora Pierce is also not afraid to, like, um, have beloved characters have legitimate moral quandaries and, like, make, like, errors that cause their death or their destruction. Yeah, that's um, cool. Um, I really love her. Um, I would read the Becca Cooper series if you want to read something that's a little bit more mature, but if you want to just, like, start at the beginning, you can just start with Alana the Lioness and scoot your way on down all her little quad series nice i own all of them because i love her um let's see i will be recommending the graceling books for the fourth time there's romance there's fantasy there to me just very well written and the romance exists in all of them but what also exists is like a book about like coming to love yourself through like, all of the things that you have had to do to be the person that you are. Like, the second book in the series is about a girl named Fire, and she's the last human monster left in her land. And the thing about monsters is they have the ability to, like, ensnare humans with their, like, I mean, with animals, it's, like, with their gaze and with their fur. Like, they make you stupid, Hmm. essentially, is the whole thing. And she kind of bears the weight of her father's legacy and also, like, What it is to be like essentially the last master manipulator left in all of the (laughs) land because, like, because like the royal family is like, Well, you need to come be our spy master, and she's like, I don't want to fucking do that, yeah, like, I don't want to do that. And like, what am I supposed to do if I am like creating harm to the people I am like exerting my will upon that is also like saving lives? Like, that sort of moral quandary she's like talking about a lot. But she's also saying things like, will you forgive me if I take my strength from you? And you can always have any strength that I have. Like, it's very much so, like, she's trying to show, like, partnership. And it's not just, like, thank God a man is here. Which <laughs> can, like, definitely happen in fantasy. So yeah. I love the Grayson books. I'm their number one fan. I think the first two are the best ones. The second two are just okay. I have yet to get through the fifth. I've been very busy. Um if you wanna read like good world building but no smut, the Six of Crows duology, very good, by Lee Bardugo. You could also read the King of Scars Rule of Wolves duology. That one is also excellent. Are those um, Lee like Bardugo? Yeah. Okay. So King of Scars is about oh my god, what the fuck is his name? He's from the original trilogy. He is the like prince with like the golden hair. Wylan? No. I Are you talking about it? from Six of Crows? I no, I'm talking about um it pulls together Six of Crows and the original Grisha trilogy. Oh, Nikolai. No. I have not read that, so I don't know what you're talking about. But um, then you have Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir and Margaret Rogerson, who I've never heard of. I really like Margaret Rogerson. Vespertine is kind of, like, Catholic-coded, and it's very interesting, and there's, like, relics and, like, kind of a battle for, like, the church and society. Very interesting. Um, A Sorcery of Thorns is another one that she wrote which is all about a librarian who has to go save a sorcerer from his spell that he, like, fucked up. <laughs> and, like, they, uh, like, take care of the books. And if you don't take care of, good enough care of the books, they, like, go feral. <laughs> cool. And, like, they'll, like, bite you or they'll start, like, leaking fluid if, like, the spells that are written in them are, like, especially toxic and you, like, don't, like, dust them well enough, which I think is just, like, generally fun lore. Yeah. Like, if you want to read stuff with fun lore, like, I have good recommendations, but, like, if you want to read something like Akatar, like, you should just read Throne of Glass. Gotcha. Well, I like good lore, so I'm gonna take these, I'm gonna take these requests with me to the library once I finish I piece. <laughs> really liked Vesper Like, really did. Like, I finished it, cool. and I was like, oh, yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, we did it, guys. Yeah. We did it, Joe. Another hour and 40 minutes later. I really thought this one was going to be shorter because we really didn't have anything <laughs> to talk about. And yet we still managed to divide the well, odds. Well, at least two minutes is of me peeing. So I can at least get rid of, like, two minutes. True. And I can probably skip the part where I talk about wanting to get my card detailed. So... <laughs> Sometimes I just feel like I'm on FaceTime with you when we're recording this podcast and then I really have to like make sure that I don't like tell on myself for things that I really don't <laughs> want people to be playing out of their car speaker on Spotify. Like I almost said the yeah. names of a couple people just like dropping names of college situationships and people are like I'm in the grocery store looking at the green peppers <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like Yeah. But no, I, I get that. I... Go ahead. I was going to say thank you for having me on twice in a row. I feel like I've really gotten comfortable on here. And I appreciate you having me read Akatar because it kind of put me on to, like, a new way of reading, which I think is important. Especially for people like me who apparently, ever since they were 14, have been being snobby online about books. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you had an okay time. I was kind of worried that you were gonna read them and you were gonna be like, "Tucker, <laughs> I can't read the next two. I'll die. No, I uh, Which died. I do think is what would have happened if Sam had read them, he would he would have been like, two more? You have to read two more. <laughs> well the Sam first did just finished, bragging on my sucks. boyfriend. He did just finish War and Peace. He did it, he read the whole thing. Good for him. Okay. This has been All My Friends Are English Majors. ACOTAR Month is done. Next month, my friend Brennan is going to come on, and we're going to read the Off Campus series by L. Kennedy. I'm so excited. Um, Recommended by Brennan. He stole them from, like, some EPUB (laughs) archive and read them of his own accord and was telling me about them, and he agreed to come on the pod, so I'm going to be really nice to him about how bad this book is. um follow us on instagram at englishmajorspads send us an email at gmail.com. please write a review or leave five stars and we'll talk to you next week the pod will probably be coming out late because i have a tournament next weekend and i don't know if we'll get the recording done in time so yeah okay bye bye